Yes, we can't help it. Food and Beverage Magazine Live, bringing food and beverage to life with your hosts, James Beard Award winner Jennifer English and Food and Beverage Magazine publisher Michael Politz. Featuring leaders in the hospitality, branded food and beverage, and CPG industries, many of whom are Jennifer and Michael's friends in the business. For an informal and informative conversation where friends in the business share the latest intel, ideas, and best practices. Live, juicy inside scoop from the tastemakers, newsmakers, bread bakers, drink shakers, spoon lickers, clam diggers, farms, foodies, and friends of the food and beverage magazine world. Here are your hosts, Jennifer English and Michael Politz. Hello, dear. Hi, how are you? Look at how good I am. Look what arrived oh. in the mail for me. Should we bring on our guest right now first? Absolutely. Just bring Absolutely. him on and Absolutely. then talk with him so he's not sitting yeah. backstage. Is there anything important you want to talk about first? Today we have. I want you to show him what I sent you yesterday because I want him to be, you know, a little bit like yeah. pizzazzed about. Okay. Yeah, but I got to remind you something. Today we have an Iron Chef America Victor. Today we have an Emmy Award winner. Today we have one of the leading culinary influencers, inspirers, and innovators of his generation. One of the greatest culinary storytellers, one of the greatest chefs, somebody who's generous and all around, one of the great guys. Not just oh great my guys, God, Jennifer. one of the great guys well, in our business. Why don't you just throw in, throw in how handsome the, he is, too? Can you throw that in? I mean, my listen, God. He, what are you? This, we, we, we have one of the great guys on with us today. It is a pleasure. It's an honor to welcome longtime friend Mark Tarbell of Tarbell's in Phoenix, Arizona, on with us today. He joins us now where he is about to open back up. Yes. Hello, 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 Jennifer. Hello, Mike. Hey, my doing? old friend. How are you? It's good to see you again. And congratulations on your Emmys. Thank congratulations you. Congratulations on Plate and Pour. Congratulations on all your success. And I have to say, I am deeply thrilled and honored that you're here with us today when you're getting ready to open back up. Yes. <laughs> oh, big stuff. Big stuff. Big uh, stuff. Yeah. Well, thank you um, for that. It's you know, it's not me. It's I have such a great team at PBS and. I'd be remiss in not saying that. And a lot of people say that because they're being right. falsely modest. But the truth of the matter is I have one small part in it, not to try to screw it up. And it's all in the editing and it's all in the filming and um, <laughs> all that. The editing. That's like it's us, Mark. It's all Jennifer only looks like Elizabeth Taylor post-production because it's all in the editing. Yeah. Right, I Lizzie? Do. You take my breath away with your uh, off-trackness, but that's, we are. I'm having a little. Um, uh, I'm gonna try one thing today. Audio. What are you? So, can you see me? Okay. Are we doing okay? Yeah, we love you. You're crackling, but it's it's making me hungry. Is it? I wanted to find out where the crackling is because I wanted to be perfect for Mark. It's 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 and in your earbuds being plugged in. I I don't have them in anymore. Oh. Oh. So so put them back in. Is it yours? Is it his? Is it mine? Let me see. I think it's Mark. Mark, we got to work on that. We want to make sure you're 100%. I can't believe Mark is crackling and we blame Jennifer. Mark, I you know. totally blame Jennifer for your crackling. Oh, stop. No, we did it. Hey, listen, 
it's not every day that we get one of the, the literally most influential chefs in the country who's been at it for a while. Uh, yes, he's had things like a victory on Iron Chef. Uh, yes, he's won Emmy Awards for Plate and Pour, his PBS show. Uh, but before any of that, Mark was doing something remarkable in the world of food. And I want to go back to that because where we all start is where a lot of us are going to find ourselves in the next weeks, months, as we adapt to the condition that COVID and the pandemic has thrust upon us. Yes. I, yes. And, and Mark, you don't have to talk from the, from your introduction. All you have to do is sit there and she'll just stare at you. Right. It's, it's like, this is what I used to do with whenever Carrie was in the room, whenever Carrie, we would say, come on, Jennifer, meet me at Carrie. She would just sit there. <laughs> Listen, I want to I, I want to give Mark a chance to tell us about how he started and what kind of passion is necessary to launch, to start something, and um, and and it's it's why we have him on today because we need him to remind us what it's going to take to start maybe something new. Well, you know, for me, it, it's it's always been passion, and I think what I, when we were talking earlier, Jennifer, uh, sorry, Elizabeth. When we were talking earlier, <laughs> Jennifer, yeah, I was speaking to Jennifer earlier. Okay. Uh, I'm on a media list here. Just kidding. Um, but when we were talking earlier, uh, I'm so fortunate that I still have passion for it after 40 some odd years. And that really is what drives people. And, and now more than ever, I think if you're going to start something new, if you're going to have some new venture, if you're going to come out of this, it's what takes you through all the ups and downs and the swings. Uh, in this business and there are many what's interesting is that we are very uh adaptable people we're in a reactionary business in general yeah and we have to pivot and now we must pirouette mark we're in a high touch business in a no touch world and it's going to become really important for us to understand that some things about our business are not going to change and some things are Let's focus yeah. on the parts of the business that you don't think will change and that that shouldn't change. Well, you know, if, if, if we're fortunate and we can all get back to being responsibly and safely human again, uh, we as humans like to ha have social interaction. So we like to be social. So I think that for us, it's upon us to allow this to really break what we might have been doing um, and understand that and not worry or complain or lament too much what it was before when you could pack people in and you're just shoulder to shoulder in restaurants and and that was your model i, I don't know that that will be coming back very quickly but i think what i really want to emphasize is what the joy of hospitality and serving and being of service that still can come out it can even come out you have to work on it more but it can come out through the eyes when you have a mask on it certainly is the energy you put out and what, we're, what I think we all need to find out is what that's going to look like. It may be more distant and not the same. And I think that, frankly, it'll be in smaller venues. Uh, I can see houses being re like they have been before, but that'll be more of a draw, small rooms, uh, intimate private parties, micro catering, um, you know, things where people feel secure and safe. And also there's going to be an intimacy to it. I think that'll be important. Help me redefine togetherness well 
you know, togetherness is is by, you know, used to be by touch and used to be by words and, and facial expression and body language. And right now we have to probably relearn how we express through the face and body because the touch is not available. Um, so, you know, that big hug you we all try to do in the hospitality business and uh, the virtual hug. Um, that is now virtual there, you know, there may not be that, uh, where you see someone you've known for 25 years and as a guest in your business and give them a big hug, um, cause they're old friends. Um, right. but the sentiment and the spirit behind that is what we're refashioning. And I think that, you know, everything goes through transitions, you know, phones were less intimate than personal conversations, texting and email were less personal than phones. And then beyond that social has social media has a another distancing element to it while it appears to be uh, connecting people. It's the, it's the spirit and the, the intent behind it is what's most important. One of the things that I've always admired about you is your generous hospitality because it cultivates a very particular warm and relaxed kind of conviviality. Would you talk a little bit about what you think the experience should feel like? Because you capture it so beautifully in part on Plate and Pour. So I want to kind of tie it together because you bring to life in a sense the search for the source of that in the, in the quests and adventures you go on. Would you talk a little bit about that for us? Well, you know, it's an energetic feel that I really try to teach and get my team uh, and identified with we're of service to people and that that has to be part of your your soul and most people I believe are at their core but we need to break down some certain uh, uh, ideas and preconceptions in order to allow us to freely do that but you know the whole thing about being in community with others at a community table or being in a, in a restaurant um, I still believe that we can do that uh, and do it in a, a spaced out way um, you know, because hemp is on the rise in Arizona, uh, and we can do it very, very safely um, because it has to be about the intent of the team and the warmth of the room, and the warmth and the energy in the room comes from people. So um, it's not art. It's not really the fi fixtures and the materials used in building it. So that's what I. That's why I'm thinking micro and small and less is more as a as a as a pathway to getting back to you know restaurants. Will you talk about um, the restaurant? Because you've got a very important event happening today. In fact, you're opening again. And I would like yes. you to talk because there are literally um, hundreds, thousands of people in our industry who will hear your words, who are going through similar experiences and the solidarity and communion of being in the same boat. Uh, I think a lot of people can learn from what you've been through, what your team has gone through, and what you have chosen to do. Will you talk about how it is that you're you're on the on the cusp of tonight's reopening? Well, we did reopen two nights ago, so I have a little bit of runway. And um, you know, just getting back to March 16th when we closed, um, that was one of the scariest, most disturbing moments of my life and career because I put everything 25 years into tarbells and you know, been open 360 days a year and never closed. So it was wild. Um, and we, in the future, I think what was most um, difficult throughout all that process is 
so much information, not knowing who to listen to and not knowing what the, what the next hour or the day would be. And we ha- couldn't plan and we couldn't do any of that. We tried, we did open for about four weeks in, in May and decided that uh, it was not wise or, or it was just not, you know, at the core of it, we just weren't, we were becoming a lab or a, a, a clinic. You know, we, we just, there was no hospitality and warmth and everyone was so uncomfortable uh, while they were trying to be comfortable and go out, they were, we were uncomfortable. So we, we closed back down and then, you know, there's a lot of, um, I think fear drives a lot of what's going on in today and without, you know, some really pure knowledge and some, uh, some comp, you know, it, it is hard to get over that. So we went into the diving deep into data and making our best decisions based on information that we had available to, given to us by people that are, have our interest in, in best interest in mind and experts and weren't paid to, to give us their opinion. So, and when, then we just kind of, as a group talked about, and boy, it's, it's nerve, it's, you know, it's nerve wracking, but we're going extremely, we're, it's, it's little baby steps, you know, it's, um, we're going to be very, very restrictive where we have no bar. We're, we're just reserving dining counter spaces. Everything's, you know, we're doing all the, all the things we should in every level with, you know, all the, all the equipment and whatnot's available to us. But then we also have to understand that there is risk. You know, uh, we've been very successful as a team internally uh, getting through this so far without any issues. But, you know, now we're opening up the tent. And, uh, you know, we, I think the last couple of days, what I find is there's a big shift from the last four weeks were open. The people definitely want to get out, but they're not getting out like they were just let out of a, um, you know, they were, they were boxed up and cooped up forever and couldn't wait to get out and just kind of wear underwear around their head. Um, and and we, should, we, are... should, we, we should remind people, let's tell everybody about the restaurant and yeah. have you been doing your wine program and has that sustained you? Has the to-go program sustained you? What were the things that really got you through? Well, you know, certainly the um, to-go and delivery thing, which we had never done before, got us through um, as a base. Uh, we have a wine store and retail, uh, unfortunately, and understandably, people are drinking more <laughs> during COVID. So that was very helpful to have the wine store. Um, so we were we were very fortunate in that way. But, you know, it still is, you know, a fraction of what we were doing last year. I mean, I won't lie, you know, very, very stressful and very expensive. And we've just we decided to keep our a core team and uh, bring people back as we could um, while when to go and delivery got going. So. Um, ah, I don't know. <laughs> Mark, I'm, I'm going to give you a shameful, I'm a shameless plug here. Uh, you have a brilliant wine shop, uh, and you can ship all over the country. Uh, but, but let's talk a little bit about the wine shop because everybody needs to know part of your, uh, what I'll just call philosophy, uh, involves, uh, the wine as much as the food, it seems. Will you talk a little bit about your overall um, philosophy of hospitality and how important wine is to you? Well, absolutely. I mean, wh- wh- you know, food is what I love and, and wine I have a passion and strong interest in. And I think the two of them together, I was lucky in Paris. I went to La Varenne to culinary school and then I went to Academy du Vin as a wine, uh, as a kid, as a 19 year old. And ever since then, I've it's I've had this because it's never ending. Learning about wine is never ending. But what we want to do there is make it super uh, humble and hospitable and generous and kind, and make it very easy for people. But but 
on top of that, and we match prices uh, locally and nationally with all the big box stores, but people that we're dealing with really just want ease. So we deliver, we make things very easy for them. But more importantly, what I feel is important is wine has become a commodity to a certain extent, but most wines that we love are are done by artists. This is These are farmers and artists, and it's not really a commodity because if they have a bad vintage in California, they can't go, oh, well, that's okay. We'll just go down to um, you know somewhere like, we'll, we'll just build a factory somewhere else and make it there in a couple of months. It, wine, it's a one shot a year. Uh, artisans are making it. You know, I think the farmers that grow great grapes are artisans as well. Um, so we're trying to honor that and not and decommoditize it uh, while still being, you know, fair. When it comes to the world of wine, and, and I, I couldn't agree with you more, I think the, the, uh, the, uh, the, the grape guys, they're dirt artists. So much of their art happens in the soil. I mean, it, it's unbelievable. Let's yep. talk about what great wine is, what grain looks, what great wine looks like and tastes like. And what are the kinds of wines in your portfolio that you offer for your guests? And what do these wines have in common that really distinguishes your wine store? Well, what great wines look like, or, or it's like any art, you just curate it. And um, what we're really good at is finding things because uh, we have a group of people that are just passionate about it. And we, we, we're collaborative in buying. So wines that we're truly passionate about, we like to find things that haven't been discovered yet, if that's possible. We like to get things that are uh, exclusively made available to us. Um, we're, we're doing a lot of that. And, and it really is just like, we want to you know, lead, lead people to, to new experiences and discovery and still have, we have Camus and Belgras. Um, <laughs> I love, I, I think you might have introduced me to the Belgloss originally, but we were, uh, and I, we might have been in Napa, which could have been a funny thing. Hey, listen, I know you've got a lot going on, and I know we don't have a ton of time with you, but I think it's really important to talk about what are you guys going to do tonight? What's on the menu tonight? What do you bring to the guests coming back? That, how are you going to speak to them through the actions of what you offer? How, is you, how are you going to let your food speak? for you tonight? What are you going to have out there? Well, very simply, being in a, uh, in a 25 year old restaurant, we've kind of become iconic. And when, and for those that have iconic restaurants, you may have a dish that you've had on for 15, 20, 30, whatever years. And every time you try to change it or move it, take it off, it yeah. becomes, you know, yeah, good, good luck getting rid of that. Well, COVID has uh, done that for us. Uh, we, we, I decided I want to get back to where we started cooking very much out of passion and innovation and just what what is in our soul to, to talk about and speak through food. So there's a big transition that's happened um, at Tarbell's and the Tavern. Uh, the, the Tavern has really become the wine bar I always wanted to be with small plates and we're cooking yeah. at the bar and stuff like that. And then Tarbell's is just bright, light, very veggie driven, which is the way I eat, you know, very small portions of protein, um, colorful and happy food. Um, and we're using everybody, you know, we're using Pinnacle Farms and Wong and uh, Seacat and, um, and they're all been, been real great. Uh, we have some really cool stuff. Wong's just came in with some watermelon today. So we're doing this watermelon, oh, nice. part, partly savory uh, appetizer, uh, grilled watermelon. And then we're, uh, we have some great um, carrots that we got from Wong's and we're doing something really cool with that. Uh, so they're very, 
you know, we're basically putting it as everyone's doing these days. I, well, we used to do, you know, putting really food forward, uh, the farmer first. Mark, one of the things that I heard you say when you were talking about the activities that got you through the COVID push was that the wine shop provided you a source of revenue. Mm -hmm. In other words, you had a product. I happen to think that in the crystal ball that I have in front of me, where we go next involves product because everybody out there still needs to eat. But restaurants might not be the place everyone gets to eat because not everyone is iconic and might not survive. There are literally thousands of restaurants, that, millions of restaurants that are predicted not to survive this. So we have to look at the kinds of things people can start doing today that could be part of their solution down the road. Will yeah. you talk a little bit about where you see things going? Well, I want to make clear that even though I've been open 25 years, um, it's extraordinarily difficult for me. I mean, in every in every imaginable way. But what I'm going on is a, is a belief in our future and hope and faith and a positive attitude. And I may be completely unreasonable and I may be wrong. But um, I do think for anyone who's struggling or, or has possibly lost their restaurant, you know, talent will be found and, and we will rebuild. I mean, I've been in one thing about 25 years is I've been through a lot of events, uh, worldwide events that have been very devastating to our business, um, whether they're economic meltdowns or wars or 9-11, whatever it might be. And these are very uncertain times. And um, people, you know, humans have a way of rebuilding. Um, and I think that I think there's a beauty in that. So I would just say be first in and just uh, shop your talent out and say you want to be a part of the better future that's going to happen. Um, and be innovative and say, well, what do I want to do now? What's it going to look like? And that's, we're really doing that. You know, our, our restaurant probably never will be sat more than 60% of what it was, 50%. We're just building Mark, new. Will, will you talk, do you see a silver lining in this moment for the food industry? Well, I think that there will be a lot of pent up uh, creativity and innovation that comes out of it that want, will want to be expressed. And I do think, if I, if I, my hope is that, you know, the world gives us back something that will help us get through this and, and, and put an end to the pandemic, or at least learn how to safely live with and responsibly live with it. And at that point, I think people are really going to want to celebrate almost like they were, went through a very difficult uh, event as, as some of our, uh, our elders have been with like world wars and things like that, where they were worldwide events. And this is a worldwide event. I think people may want to celebrate after that once it's safe and responsible to do that. So, you know, who better to be there for that than what we do in the hospitality business? We just need to, you know, somehow get there. Will know. you talk? Will you talk a little bit about your show? Yes. Uh, well, Plate and Four. I'm been so great... proud of you, by the way. Thank you very much. You know, it, it, it all started because of my love for uh, the, the food and wine, and really more the people and the culture of what's been happening here in Phoenix and. Uh, Elizabeth, we talked about this early 20 years ago. It was great. We just couldn't get anyone to listen. And, you know, I've never, I've always thought I wanted to be, you know, leave it better than the way I, way I came into it. And part of that is bringing to light in a very, very cool way, uh, well done way, like they do at, at, at BBS, um, what's really happening and getting a little deeper in the stories. I mean, it's half hour. We can't get too deep, but, and talk about people that are producing things and just give like a global picture of the people culture and all these wonderful uh, 
things that are happening in Arizona. We were just scratching the surface, frankly. And I, I look forward to being able to do uh, season three. Of course, everything's shut down right now, but we're going to start it with uh, doing little minis on, on uh, social media uh, with a production team down there. So there will still be stories made. It won't be going into restaurants and cooking with people, but, you know, it's really just a great, uh, you know, beautifully filmed uh, story about what's happening here in Arizona and the people in it. Jennifer, why are you, you're, Jennifer, you are muted and it's amazing. Jennifer, why are you muted? There you go. Is that better? Well, a little bit for everybody well, we else. Can't... I luckily could read your lips. Well, we can't wait to have Mark come down to Tucson for the um, Tucson Taco Trail. Let me let me show you this, Jennifer. Look what I, I found. Wanna, on I the... We got to cook together. I want to cook with my friend. Jennifer, look what I found on the internet with, with Mark yeah. in this picture. You remember this this tonight, guys? Yep. Yep. Jennifer, Look at Shep. Jennifer, you were there. I was there. Shep, Sammy, Vince, John George, Alice, Danielle. That was awesome. Grant, Kim. What a night. So as you, this is my life. The who's that with the who's who. That's it. Yeah. And Jennifer, yeah. I keep calling you Elizabeth. My I, I'm so sorry. I just got off the phone earlier from my sister Elizabeth for an hour. Oh, so. that's a, and that's okay. I, I, I work with Elizabeth Plow, and not that anybody yeah. ever mistakes me for her because she's much more gorgeous than I could ever imagine. I dream. I want to be Elizabeth when I grow up one day. Oh, Mark! But, uh, look, look who says hello, Lisa Lowe. Oh, Lisa, how you doing? <laughs> Love you. You're the best. Yeah, she just we love little, our uh, friends. Let's talk a little bit. Yeah. Wait, Mark's talking about Lisa now. Mark said Lisa yeah, just put yeah. out a final record. No, she was she right there right front in the middle, right next to uh, Alice. Oh, put the picture back up? Yeah. Oh. There she is, Lisa Loeb. Look at that. <laughs> That's awesome. Radiating and as beautiful as ever, huh, guys? She's the best. Yeah, she really is a very wonderful person and an amazing talent. And a great mom. <laughs> oh, everything about her. She's one of my closest, dearest, one of my dearest. And uh, I'm lucky to have her as a friend. And evidently you are too, Mark, because she will always, for 20 years, Lisa has kept me on the straight and narrow. That is for sure. <laughs> yeah. A true friend. No yes. truer, for sure. You know, let's talk a little bit about that because that picture uh, was taken at an event where our dear friend Perry Simon, Iron Chef Perry Simon, uh, who had been diagnosed with MSA and was was really struggling. He he, we came together that night in an awareness campaign for lots of reasons, and I think that that picture embodies who we are as a community. Yes. And and that was a very uh, difficult, you know, traumatic experience for a lot of us to see our friend suffering like that. Absolutely. And in a way, it embodies the breadth of the sorrow and suffering our friends in the business are enduring right now because of COVID. 
Mark, would you talk a little bit about about what were the important things that that picture represents that we need to summon now to get through together? Well, I think if you look at that picture from the outside, you're seeing a lot of very famous people, myself not included, but um, a lot of very accomplished and famous people in our world. And the, and you were there, so you'll remember this. You were both there. There was nothing but good. I mean, people said yes immediately. There was no ego. There was a lot of cooperation. There was zero issues. It was the spirit of uh, the reason people were there were, was pure. And that is really true. For, for our industry, we are we are givers, we serve, and that. But you know, sometimes people look at that and go, "Wow, it would have been fun to be there." They're all celebrities, but there was not a celebrity in that room that night, except for Carrie. Uh, we were all there for him, of course, and to honor him and to bring awareness. But you know, and I, by the way, Mark, we would all have rather not been there. You know what I mean? Right. We would, we would right. all have rather not been there. Exactly, w without a doubt, and. You know, Elizabeth Lau, we spoke about her earlier. Uh, in fact, I mentioned her name a few times uh, <laughs> when talking to you, but uh, she put that together and she's, of course, you know, such an amazing human and uh, a powerhouse in our biz. <laughs> and we love her. Sure. We talk about Elizabeth every day on our show, thanks to Jennifer. Yeah, yeah. Listen, do you remember that night? We had all the celebrity bartenders there. And Tony Abugannon was pulling it all together with the guys from Herbs and Rye and all our friends. And so somebody needed to take a break. And I went and did my shift behind the bar because I am uh, probably just as good at the uh, behind the bar as I am in the kitchen, which is why I'm in front of the microphone and not behind the bar and not in the kitchen. Uh, but, but I was making drinks and uh, I ended up uh, making uh, gimlets uh, for, for Bill Murray. And I have to say of my bartending career, that may have been one of my highlights. Well, and wasn't he a sweet man? Uh, he was oh, just so, he cool was so lovely. Yeah, couldn't well, have been but but I like you. I'm better in front of the bar than behind the bar. I'll be honest. <laughs> hey, um, we're gonna let you go in a minute, but uh, there's Lisa. There's your crew, Michael. There's your crew. Yeah. <laughs> now Vince. <laughs> That's awesome. So Mark's gonna have to go. He's gotta. He's gotta get ready. He's gotta. He's yeah. gotta go get ready. But be I'm before I let you go, I got to ask you yeah. to do us a favor. Uh -huh. I need you to talk to the kids who were us 20 and 25 years ago. Well, talk don't to the people who, yeah. who are not going to get to walk back into their restaurant and resume what they knew. Inspire us. Where are we going to go? What, what do we need to hear? Well, don't give up hope. Pivot. I really feel there will be a tremendous demand for micro catering and private chefs and private dining in homes. I think that would be the first wave of comfort. If you can pitch yourself out there as someone as an expert or is willing to do that, I think you can still apply your craft and and have a have a, actually have an interesting experience. And I would really put yourself out there. And there are a lot of restaurants that are going to be reopening and hiring, and that has been challenging. It's been challenging to get people to come forward and want to work again. There's there's all kinds of reasons for that. They're fearful, they're not comfortable, uh, or they're or they're doing other things, whatever it might be. But um, you know, I I would not give up hope. I think if we all give up hope and we we succumb to fear, we will not have the future that we could have. But but I I want to go back to I do think private private chefing, micro catering. All of those things are real possibilities. I think there's going to be a demand for it. And I think it's going to be, uh, it's going to come first before restaurants fully recover. 
Yeah, I, I agree completely. And the other thing is product. If you can find something that you're passionate about, a product that you love, that you want to represent, that you want to introduce to a broader audience, I think direct to consumer is going to be a tremendous category. Of, can I, uh, can I just add to that, Jennifer? I just noticed on Instacart, Chef's Warehouse is now on. Do you see that, you guys? Chef's yeah. Warehouse is on Instacart. I can order from Chef's yeah. Warehouse to my house direct to consumer. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I used to like to be able to like have my little secrets that I could go in and get whatever I wanted, but now everybody can. It's kind of, I mean, it's larger quantities and it's higher end yeah. stuff because Chef's Warehouse is that, but it's pretty amazing. Well, and then we had Michael Guinora saying that they're thinking about doing that with everything from foie to what have you. I'm telling you, the question is going to be what happens when everyone realizes it's just as easy to get our favorite luxury products directly from Petrosian or Russin Daughters or from your favorite purveyors shipped right to your house. The demand's going to go yes. up. There is going to be huge demand. Yeah. And everybody, you got to understand something right now. This is a moment of opportunity to be of service. It's in our nature. Food service. Food service, Food service. Absolutely. And we do. you want to take a page from and one of the best? We got Mark Tarabell here to inspire us. Before I let you go, there was a little debate before you came on. We know that you're an Iron Chef winner. Would you take us back to that episode? Oh, so many years ago. But so it was, uh, you know, it, it was, it was, I think uh, 2007, it was just a, an amazing thing. I got, I didn't, I don't watch TV. And I, I, so this uh, guy called me, Bruce Sadell, who was, who brought Iron Chef America to Food Network. Um, he called me, he was staying at the sanctuary. He said, Hey, I saw you on channel three. I thought you were really good. Do you want to go on this show, Iron Chef America? And I was like, uh, you know, I, I remember I was sitting there and I almost said, no, I literally almost said no. Cause I, didn't really have a relationship and i was like whatever and so i said yeah sure i never seen the show i looked at it on sunday when it was airing and i was like oh my god and you know what have i done thought it was uh, what have i done and a lot of people thought it was sort of stage for tv reality but in my experience we didn't know the ingredient and we uh we i trained for like intensively six days a week with fake cameras and everything else uh just and all, i bought all the equipment you know that they have there that KitchenAid stuff and use that so I would be familiar with it. So I really trained hard and I, I, I auditioned for people in my restaurant to do it. I, ironically, the chef at the time did not make the cut. Uh, a sous chef did and someone in the front of the house actually did. I wanted competitors and winners and we went there to win. Now we had a less than 5% chance of winning and uh, you didn't know who you were gonna go against and we ended up going against Kat Cora. Um, and you know, there was all these rules, like we can all do five dishes and we had to use it and everything. Well, she did six dishes and we thought, you know, we thought we lost. And, uh, you know, there were so many times we thought we lost. Uh, but what I wish there was this thing about iron chefs is they always like to go uh, second because for whatever reason they thought they did better with the judges going second. I wanted to go first because my food would be at least 15 minutes old, not, you know, two hours old. By the time um, and so I, I also plied him with a little Prosecco, I'll be honest. It was Jerry Steingarten and a guy named Bone Crusher uh, and Karen. Uh, she was great. So anyway, we went through this and they and they were very nice to me. But Karen I saw Page her, or someone else? Vikram, yeah. I saw yeah. I, everyone was, the judges were nice, but I saw Bobby Flay uh, uh, do a, one taping before, the, uh, the day before, and everyone was super nice um, to him and he lost. 
So I was like, we lost, you know, and so they kind of hammered her up. And um, anyway, we won, uh, which was awesome. And, but there is an inside story. I have just five seconds. So, um, gosh, what's his name? The really funny guy that, uh, who was part of that show, but now he has his own show. Anyway, guys, what's his name? You know, he was, he was, he, he always talks about Alton Brown. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Brown. Alton Brown. So he was there and he whispered to one of my sous chefs when he, we were setting up that he had, we, he had done something wrong and we had blown the, the deal and we were going to lose. We we're just still tape it. This is what he, I didn't know this. He's like, yeah. And he was just like sweating and he thought he lost this, the whole thing for me. He was freaking out. His name was Jim and he's just totally freaking out. But when we won, he, I had to physically climb on his back because he was, I had to restrain him because he was going to kill him. Because he's like, <laughs> he thought he went through this whole thing that we lost and then we ended up winning. Anyway, they play a lot of great You know, Mark, you know what's funny? I, I reached out to KB and invited her on the show today. Oh, really? Well, you know who, uh, so I hadn't, I didn't see Kat uh, for years after and I just did a Capitalua with, with mine with her two years ago or last year. Um, and she was there. That's a fun event. That's a really fun event. Amazing. I've done it like four or five times. It's so nice. But um, so Kat was there and we just had the best time together because we hadn't seen each other than that. And she didn't yeah. really enjoy losing. Uh, I'll tell you that. But we had a great time. We were able to patch it up and have fun. Well, I, I miss seeing you at our events and I look forward to uh, the time when we can cook and clink our glasses together. I have to say, you know what? I'm never, I don't know that I know the answer to this. Were you at La Varenne when Virginia Willis was there or this just after her? I think I was, I was there after her. I was there in 1982 and three. Okay. So, well, so we've got all these lovely people in common. We'll clink our glasses together a la Julia and say, a la carrion de l'amitié. My friends, to the bells of friendship. Thank you, Mark. We'll see you soon. Michael, thank you. thank you. We have talked. Good luck tonight. We talk more. Thank you so Break much. Break a leg. Appreciate it. He's adorable, isn't he? I told you, I love him. I love it. He's one of yeah. the great guys. He's a great. Well, he must have been very close to Carrie. I know I met him a bunch of times in the restaurant. A bunch of times. Yeah. And well, uh, nice. You got under. You know. This is a unique opportunity. We have a little bit of time right now together. And I want you to explain to people how in the restaurant world, that idea of water seeks its own level, that all the good people kind of know each other and play together and play together nicely. Yeah, they do play together nicely sometimes. In the end, when, they're, when, they, when they are really who they are, once they become who they are, they play together, right? And that's the whole thing. And that's the reason, Jennifer, I wrote this book, the one I just sent you last night. Are you familiar with the book, Jennifer? Look at this. I've read it cover to cover. Let me see. Let me see. Show, show the audience. Look at this. Guide to Restaurant Success. Oh, my God. Now, how many? is there too many Carrie Simon stories in the book? That's all I want to know. There, there can never be too many Carrie Simon stories. But you have to love a book where the author starts a sentence on page 20. This is one of my favorite sentences in any book about food. And it starts like this. Let's talk about fries. <laughs> <laughs> to me, that's like a that's such a Michael Pulitzer kind of thing. Let's talk but, about fries. Uh, Did you read the last line of the book, Jen? The last line. I don't want to give it all away, but the last line of the book yes. is an homage to my mentor. It's the most beautiful. Th I couldn't think of a better way to end the book than to thank the person 
who brought me the greatest success, right? Who steered me on down the road to success. You could read it if you want. On page 167, you write, cheers. And in the unparalleled famous words of my mentor, Robin Leach, I wish you champagne wishes and caviar dreams. But, you I know, mean, Michael, I, I want to talk about something when you say that, because people think it's really about literally and only quite literally drinking fine champagne and caviar. But but if you really want to have a champagne and caviar life, it is mm -hmm. it is only with friends and loved ones that that can happen. You can be eating cheeseburgers and French fries. And it's the same not, thing. And, and it can be even even more rich than having caviar and champagne with somebody who's shitty. You understand? Oh, my God. Yes. I know. It doesn't matter what really matters. And I and I like to think that, that when Robin was talking about that, what he was really talking about was the conviviality and the true nature of hospitality. It's the thing that's going to make us, at the end of the day, find another opportunity in <laughs> no <laughs> you know me too well because you know that i i don't think anybody in this business has ever even seen me tipsy because i don't i don't drink like that that's not my no favorite. of course not of course but but i really think it's important to remember that when we're turning now and we're adapting we're taking all of our talent and knowledge and expertise but part of what we have to bring forward with us as we adapt and pivot mm -hmm. is knowing and pleasing our customers and our guests. Whether you're in a dining room, in a restaurant, and you're serving a table, or you're online offering products on a new website that you love, the idea is not so much about making people be, it's not about the transaction. It's about how you make people feel. Dale DeGroff, Tony Abu Ghanem say it. I don't serve drinks. I serve people. It's not about the what so much as the how. It's Correct. not so much about, about the goal or the end of it. It's about the intention that you bring to it. It's why when you're cooking and you need to put some of your love in the food and you use a magic wand, which is another name for a, a wooden spoon, all of the love that you have, the intention that you have when you're cooking. Mark's a genius example of this. He's got skills, but it's his intention, just like Julia's, that makes the food turn out the way it does because it's conveying, it's the vehicle for conveying that emotion. That's what we have to remember as we go forward. I, I would imagine if Lisa's still watching, you know, she performed brilliantly that night. I mean, she performs brilliantly every, every day. Forms. Mm -hmm. But there was something special she brought to it that night, and that was her love for for Carrie and for the intention she had that that music be extra rich, the poignancy, the love, the things that happen when we're there for the people. We show up for them. We do the things we do for them. When you have that intention and you put it into the art that you make, and the art that we make is the art of welcoming our guests. Yep. And it doesn't need to be in a restaurant the way we've always done it. But if you take, and that's one of the lessons that I got from reading this book, it's not so much that you have to follow a, a strict script on how to achieve this. This is how to teach you how to think and feel and operate with the intention of being a warm, generous, welcoming host to your guests.
And it might be that it's a website. It might be that you've- And flow through the problems. Nothing stops. You know, and, and, and don't let and not nothing stops you. Don't be held back. You figure it out. You may fall, but you're gonna get up. You may fall, yeah. but you're gonna get up. Right? Listen, let's talk about our friends over the last couple of months. We've got extraordinary examples of this. Our friend Farmer Lee Jones from Chef's Garden stopped being able to send his boxes of his beautiful vegetables, organic beautiful vegetables, to Michelin three-star chefs. So he opened a farm stand and the people came he did an amazing home delivery box system where you can actually for 89 dollars, including the shipping get a box of the most gorgeous vegetables to feed your family for a week our friend elizabeth and our friends at honey salt restaurant when they could only fill half the seats they didn't want people to see the empty seats and feel funny so they put teddy bears in them and everybody got a chuckle. Mm -hmm. There are ways you can keep being you, doing what you do for the people you do it for. If there's any message, Michael, that we have that we can share with our audience and our friends in the business, it is this. Don't stop being you. Don't stop doing what you do, even if you have to change how you do it. Like our friend Jake says, don't quit. Don't quit. Well, don't Jennifer... Quit. You're fabulous. Have a wonderful weekend. Have a great long weekend. Listen, everybody, hug your kids, count your blessings, and cook for the people you love. I'm going to go make a pizza for the baby. Whether you are thinking about becoming a restaurateur or you are already in the business, Michael Politz has written a must-read, The Food and Beverage Magazine's Guide to Restaurant Success. Pick up your copy today at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Books A Million, or wherever fine books are sold.